Pope visits Malta after the Knights of Malta somehow quote-unquote minister first. The Mormon Church is fined $5 million after somehow hiding away $32 billion in equity. And the United Methodist Church continues to separate. But first we'll look at alcohol use in the church and finally encounter the Southern Baptist viewpoint on alcohol. I'm Jonathan Desart. This is the Cult Exclusive Podcast. everyone so i told you i was gonna get introduction music and eventually i found it big thank you for uh all the incredible people that do everything on simpstream that's an incredible website big thanks to you for that so commonly in every culture and in the somehow and somewhat unrealistic unreligious current united states we live in today parents siblings and everyone within the family life uh, normally are ecstatic about the topic of drinking alcohol, with younger individuals being more and more interested in it, and older and older individuals leaning against it. Everyone always has different opinions about the subject, and we're going to look at that subject today in multiple church denominational viewpoints. But first, before we get to that, do you have a podcast idea but aren't completely sure where you should start? Often, as a podcast begins, it's the first step to both promote products, invite guests, and monetize your show, to be well on your way to a financial podcasting career. To start, all you need to do is go online to Anchor.fm. Anchor has the great capability to connect you to nearly every single podcasting platform on the web, such as iHeartRadio and Spotify.com. Now they're directly connected to Spotify for podcasters as one, so all you need to do is get your recording box, your computer, and your microphone, and you can get to start today. Did I mention Anchor is free? Well, now you know it actually is free because it's completely free to get started, and all you need to do is get the perfect software on Anchor and get countless connections for the low price of absolutely nothing. Start today for free and begin your audience today. Also, if you're like me, you've made the New Year's resolution every week to hit the gym, both for your figure and your health. And when it comes to both of these things, you need a top market supplement for your protein intake. That's why you need the perfected products of MuscleTech. 
MuscleTech has been helping people stay focused and hit their protein gym goals at the same time. Go online to their website today at, muscletech, at muscletech.com and in order so that you can order your perfect blend of protein and commitment and you can get back in the gym to meet your goals and tell them the Cole exclusive sent you and I will send you a complimentary chalice straight from the Vatican City. Of course, sending it back won't be a problem, but it will be pretty hard to get it and you'll be mesmerized by the solid gold structure and also it'll be hard to get it back if you end up sending it because the Vatican doesn't really let people into their secret chalice room, similar to the room that unmarried and married men have during the Super Bowl championships. But then again, I follow Tom Cruise on Instagram, so he can probably teach me how to sneak into the Vatican since the filming of Mission Impossible 3. So don't worry, your chalice may or may not be on the way, especially if you subscribe and rate the show. Alright folks, we're going to cover the few points of a couple of different church denominations, or at least we're going to try with the time that we have today. First on the list, due to the fact that most of these churches agree with uh, most people in Generation Z, they are the non-denominationals. Now the term of non-denominational started early in the 1800s, despite the fact that most people would assume that most churches that are okay with alcohol would be a lot more so in the early 90s and early 2000s. Now the term of non-denominational, although it sounds like the last denomination to ever form in church history, started within the period of the mid-1800s as I said before. Non-denominationalism is most commonly within the perspective and the route that most churches are opposing nowadays. In fact, the terminology means to apply under the main not non-denominational statement of the church from the early 1800s refers to the thought process of having no creed but Christ. But forgetting the main church creed of the early church, because I guess we were not really thinking that through until they read it out loud, and acted like they didn't use that in the wording. Personally, when it comes to meeting other ministry partners in the field, a non-denominational church is the church that I honestly prefer, and not only because they tend to have a reasonable viewpoint when it comes to drinking when when you are in self-control, but they also coincide with my perspectives on the theology concerning spiritual gifts, which is a very important aspect we will be getting to in church history later on in later episodes. And that aspect is also completely theologically accurate in every biblical way. On alcohol use specifically, the churches are mostly relaxed in the subject, and though they do not encourage heavy drinking, as basically no one at any point should, non-denominationals, just as other churches I've been a part of, are in this category, seek social drinking as an opportunity for ministry in a broken world. This is one way in which the churches that do not accept any alcohol use fall short in the ministry world, since multiple gangs, biker groups, and clubbing Drinking degenerates, as some traditional reformist might possibly refer to them as, have been reached through conversation over drinks in a safe and ever-changing environment. Now in Wesleyan and, or Wesley, uh, Wesleyan theology, Wesleyan ends might be something people might say later because I just messed up there, but, but there beforehand in the 1900s, and this church movement was involved in mostly alcoholic abstinence. Nowadays, however, the old ways 
as they are sometimes referred to, have long since died off, and the majority of Wesleyans today do partake in alcoholic consumption, not for all the reasons of being promiscuous or immoral, but for the purpose of ministry and for the purpose of community and being social. Now, the next church I would honestly describe as Catholic Lutheran, not at all Roman Catholic, but more particularly Lutheran with somewhat Catholic standards. So it's interesting to bring up this denomination. Basically, on their statement of faith, like basically every real Bible-based church states, they believe the Bible to be inerrant without error. One of the major reasons why I say Catholic Lutheran, although they don't exactly state that, is to the extent of the sacraments and the sainthood, similar to the Catholic Church, with the subtraction of praying to saints for forgiveness. And in this way, it's the main reason why people who know that process about the Catholics, which literally every devout Catholic knows, would end up thinking there would be no possible way to somewhat have Catholicism and someone have Lutheranism together, but perhaps they had help from the non-denominationals, though we have no evidence for that. Since their stance on alcohol use is simply put in the same light of non-denominational thought processes, where one should be in self-control in light of the fruits of the Spirit, they have similar understanding and praxis involved in alcohol use, similar to the non-denominational churches in America. Now, when it comes to Catholics, they are far more likely to drink than Protestants. However, the Protestants are actually not that very far behind, as Protestants are 16% more likely, and Catholics are 19% more likely to drink in certain situations, at least where a process of gathering and community is present. Of course, Catholics also adhere to the 60% likelihood of developing alcohol abuse, so that's something else to be heavily aware of. Of course, they abide to a standard where alcohol use in the church is deemed holy for the purpose of partaking in the act of communion. Obviously, the act of communion is far different from clubbing in the middle of a United States major city, which nowadays ends up becoming like a cross-cultural representation of whoredom on a biblical scale. But of course, there lies the main problem, as I said, with the topic of unreligiously so-called religious America. In a sense, Catholics probably do it really well when it comes to welcoming people into the faith of Catholicism simply by using alcoholic consumption. This, of course, as I mentioned before, is where a decent amount of Protestants fall short when it comes to the subject, since there's a large, overwhelming amount of people that not only turn to booze to get relief, but there's also a large amount of people with the mindset that they simply want to quote-unquote relax, chill, and have a good time. And of course, this is very popular for Gen Z nowadays. Of course, this terminology does not mean to add other drug use that is more involved in illicit material to be added into the mix, but it does reference an aspect that most of the Protestant side of the argument fails to reference, one being the Psalms that uses alcohol in a positive way dozens upon dozens upon dozens of times. Now, with Anglicans, they're a bit different on the church scale of alcohol use due to the fact that they are not in favor of the idea of transubstantiation, as with the Roman Catholic view of Christ's literal body and blood to be what is consumed during and after the partaking of the Eucharist. Anglicans view it in the symbolic sense, both due to the fact that a large amount of them saw the concept of transubstantiation to be unbiblical and cult-like if it's taken within the Catholic understanding. 
Of course, from my perspective, when discussing Catholic beliefs with co-workers who aren't sure or aren't Catholic, at least if you bring that concept too early up into the conversation, I'll most likely turn them off to the idea since the concept is deemed extremely strange by most, if not everybody who doesn't really know what Catholicism is or wasn't growing up in the church beforehand. In my experience, I had a friend in Petoskey at a new Anglican church there. He's actually a priest, and he did drink sometimes. However, it never happened in the publicity of the church residency, so as to not allow people who had alcohol problems to fall into sin. Of course, he also enjoyed playing a game called Magic, which was like another form of Yu-Gi-Oh!, but of course, that's another story anyways. A lot of the time, Anglicans will partake in alcohol consumption only for the purpose of engaging with others and engaging in community. Like I said before, this is the form I would say I most align with personally. However, for Anglican priests, there's a far higher alcohol bar set, if you will, and priests in the Anglican church will normally only partake during actual communion. Moreover, at least at the church I was a part of in Potowski, the church actually offered both types of consumption, both dark red wine and grape juice depending on the person, and this is often a good medium point of perspective when it comes to church leadership and those who partake and do not partake in drinking. Now we come to the classic reformist view. Now, interestingly, Reformed churches have around a thousand denominations, but the Christian Reformed Church in America, as opposed to the First Reformed Churches and University Reformed Churches, just to name a few, actually agree with the Anglicans on the subject of alcohol use. To them, well, them being a few, meaning those two mentioned beforehand, don't agree with them. Uh, a large number of Reformists actually do agree with Anglicans, with Christian Reformed Churches and First Reformed Churches not being one of them. So, to them, by their church doctrine, normal consumption of alcohol is not to be necessarily heavily encouraged as a rite of passage, but not by any means to actually be condemned either. As can be seen, often the churches that are more close off to the concept of spiritual gifts in the literal spiritual sense are normally the types of Reformed Churches who have a problem with alcohol use in the congregation, or at least that has happened from personal experience and normally happens for other people with their personal experiences. Now, in light of all these viewpoints, people need to realize at the very least one main approach, which is the approach of avoidance of addiction. And if it tries to sneak into the scenario, which often, which often Protestants will bring up in the first five seconds of the conversation, as we will see later. But of course, there are some verses in the Protestant Bible that show various angles of the conversation on booze, mostly in the sense that Protestants don't actually appreciate and don't actually reference at all, such as 1 Peter 4.3. So this one in 1 Peter 4.3, it says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now here you actually have to be doing those things, or at the very least some of the heavily discouraged sins, to have the alcohol use to be in the same category. 
This verse is mostly a reference to the cults we will study later in detail within Asia Minor and others in Rome who would in fact do all these aspects, mostly worse activities if you were actually there in person. As soon as alcohol was present, due to the connection of their mother goddesses and their deities and the worship of these cults. Secondly, 1 Timothy 5.23, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because your stomach because of your stomach and your frequent illness. Now, of course, it's easy to misread this text. Why would they stop drinking only water when in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was described by Paul as a baptization of water? Well, straightforwardly, this is meant to solely be used in a literal sense, which is the way absolutely no Protestant ever reads this text or ever studies it. It would be, in fact, possible... Or really, could it be possible that the Greeks and biblical authors knew that wine was healthy? This is a reference to the older times and the modern day references that go back in order to allow readers to disclose that wine at the very least is okay in a certain context of health. Since red wine is actually extremely healthy for the heart health of individuals in a non-binge drinking dosage, and perhaps the authors actually knew this. This can be incorporated into the context of the Eucharist, since from a Catholic and Protestant perspective, the major need for the Eucharist is not only to remember Christ until he comes back again, but also to be cleansed, refilled, changed, and mentored by the Spirit of God through the consumption of the sacrament, which is very literal wine. Now, on another take, Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Again, this has to be within the concept of what is morally correct and separate from the Roman connections. If people look at this verse solely as a worship of alcohol, everything else afterwards will end up no better than the cult worship. However, knowing the connection to a joyful heart in the Psalms and Proverbs, having godly ad adoration present, and the worship of Judeo-Christian Godliness draws us back to the worship of God that David discusses in the Psalms, which of course gives a new meaning to the whole motive of healthy drinking. Now lastly, from Proverbs 23.1, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. So for our culture today, we want to first take a glance at this reference and then look at in a reference, our costly Costco trip, where we went and brought out the entire store of sparkling wine for a bachelor or bachelorette party, you might put this within the apparent context and assume the Bible to actually be talking about sparkling wine. And honestly, if that's the case, we might as well put the reformists' sparkling grape juice in that category. But again, this is heavy, heavy symbolism being discussed with the purpose of teaching wisdom and understanding through a person's words and communicating with a ruler, which the Israelite kings, if you recall, had a 90% chance of making ties with the wrong people group. Again, if you read this verse, it's discussing drunkenness, not merely consumption of alcoholic beverages, which of course means to reference what we must all avoid. And everything we need to know symbolism and what it's meant to communicate is that we need to know knowledge and understanding in our lives through heavy communication of symbolic biblical literature and when it's talking about literal consumption.
Now let's get to the church news. So in short, the Pope, as he has before and other popes have done in the past before him, he recently traveled to Malta, mainly to do ministry to individuals there. And of course, the main problem in Malta has to particularly do with the idolism of spirituality and the main issues that it brings up within the fact of the secular mindset and the evil that is in Malta from a biblical perspective. In fact, if you remember the biblical scripture to begin with, there is a decent number of accounts from the biblical text concerning this form of spirituality <clears throat> to, to be in line with the spiritual evil that always goes against God in every way. And in quite realistically, you can't know Malta without knowing both the biblical sense and the structure of the ancient religions of old within the region. So I'm going to discuss the documents, uh, ideas from the death cults of prehistoric Malta from the Scientific American without directly quoting the article this time. I don't know, perhaps they might just be enjoying their coffee a little bit too much and didn't really respond to my emails. So, and again, when we talked about the most recent cult exclusive episode, the same idea and the same ideology of a mother goddess prospect, uh, which was echoed in the cults of Isis and Osiris, is going to actually show up again. So the cults within Malta did this as well in an extreme detail. Now from the center, uh, centered thought, it is if, if it comes uh, down to the old earth theory, if that old earth theory is actually true, then that means all this other all these other aspects are true also because a lot of what was recovered at Malta is extremely old and this is one of the reasons why I stand for this viewpoint but anyways as the article goes on to discuss around 25,000 years ago this religious mindset was always there and it was always there for the people of Malta and of course this leads us to realize that one religion must be true it can be argued that these faiths that formed were not were not only some of the oldest faiths, but were some of the oldest faiths that would end up rivaling the beliefs of the true biblical structure that Paul would later preach in the exact city. Of course, if Paul is preaching, and if what he is preaching is true, which it was, it should be clear to Christians and Catholics that the partnership of the cult of Malta and the Catholic Church should not be happening at all, even though the Catholics made it up. Now, one of the other main reasons, and a reason that other major archaeologists have attempted to show, is the reality that the I-Goddess cult actually existed, which well could have been the first evil eye ever displayed. If this is true, which it probably is, then it tells us that the concept of the occult was not exactly invented, but that it always existed in different forms throughout history, and with every cult, the concepts are mildly and merely hidden and are always used for the same purpose of misleading people. Now, as anyone can attest, it's very real. The people of Malta had their own sets of rituals when it comes to the dead and even had literal tombs to the dead, which eventually is the Pauline reference where Paul is explaining the whole aspect of the resurrection of Christ to the people of Malta from prison. 
Now, significantly, as the article goes on to state, we actually do not have everything needed to fully explain all of their rituals. And quite clearly, I'm glad, because whenever you dive too deep into something, it tends to lead in a negative way. But of course, for the Vatican, they tend to look into things too deeply, and they tend to have a large extent of possibly real, and a lot of times very real instruments from history that they should not have or put on display. Of course, it is good in the factor that they have a lot of artifacts from history closed up, but at the same time, they shouldn't have them on display for the purpose of treating it like a secret museum. Now, I'm not talking about... Now, in this concept, uh, that the um, that the Malta's cult had when it comes to bones was very significant. And of course, when I mention bones, I'm not talking about the show from 2005 that mostly consisted of anatomy that nobody understood beside the Harvard genius 15-year-olds or the many, many doctors going through their residency. No, I'm talking about the fascination that, of bones that Malta had, which Malta might possibly be a huge provider of the bones for the main Catholic Vatican. And of course, there's a positive aspect of this that Catholics are seeing. Uh, the real deal when it comes to the bones of the old saints and historical figures, but at the same time, they also do not discuss everything that they believe or that they take part in. Similar to other groups that we have already discussed and will discuss in later episodes. That being said, the cult of Malta and the Catholics should not be in partnership with each other. The main aspect that we have to get across is that if they're a Catholic, why not just have them be a Catholic group? Why not just have them be Catholic? Why allow the group of individuals to be described as a separate order as a whole? Why not just call them the Catholics that do a Catholic thing? When, because when the church groups have a group and they're Protestant, say a non-denominational church or a Lutheran church, and this is just a suggestion, but you never heard a Protestant church say, yeah, so we're Richardville Community Church, and we also are head over the circle of the serpent's head swordsmen of the Temple of the East. Like, you never hear that. When was the actual time a church said that? Secondly, with a simple Google, you can see that there are three main levels on the group, the top end and the middle end of the order that have oaths, and the bottom order that does not have any obligation to oaths. This is another reason why they shouldn't be in partnership, because the Bible clearly says that oaths should not be taken at all, and the Catholics even say oaths should not be taken at all, and it's straightforward within our culture to mean oaths from cults. Of course, not only this, but the prayers denouncing secret societies in the prayers of the Catholics and the Catholic Church literally has the statement, denouncing any other secret society in the prayers, which of course should be a reality check as to whether Catholics and Christians should or could join this group in the first place. Of course, in 2017, the Pope himself appointed new individuals to the order, which by the prayers of traditional Catholicism is of course an obvious step in the wrong direction. Although I would admit that the clothing they wear does in fact look like Harry Potter, which 
through this past decade and a half has grown really popular with the Christian and the homeschooled community. And so has chess, which would go with the names that they call themselves. All right. So secondly, on the church news today, uh, recently the Mormon church, as it's done a multitude of times, has committed unfortunate crimes in uh, the law of money. So recently, as the Mormon church has done, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as it's called, was in fact fined $5 million for very serious SEC violations financially. Now, before you assume that they stole money from the Southern Eastern Conference in college football, I'm actually referring to what they uh, unfortunately did, where they attempted to hide the fact that they did not disclose forms that would have saved the church's equality on their investments. Commonly, when people decide that they're not going to be religious to begin with, they're normally referring to scandals within church, religious organizations or church organizations before citing their arrested case. And often, they also do cite rationalism philosophy. Now, of course, the fact of the matter is, to the reason for someone to not is uh, disclose equality, is normally for criminality. And of course, the main criminality that most partake in is the issue of money laundering, which the Mormon Church also has done before. And in this sense, the Latter-day Saints are also partnered with the NAACP, more commonly known as the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, which of course is a very great national agency. But of course, it's interesting how they're partners considering some of the wording used in the Book of Mormon. And if you're not sure what I'm referring to, simply read 2 Nephi 5, 18-21. I'm not meaning to attack anybody, but it is in fact a viewpoint that is a problem when it comes to the Book of Mormon. Besides the Book of Mormon not having mostly any real history. But anyway, the grand total came up to $32 billion that the church essentially hid from the public. And the money issue happened as reported by St. George News that shell companies stored the money and then were told not to disclose the funds at the appropriate time. So if you're not aware of what a shell company is, they're essentially an act, uh, an action of a company that holds on to another company's transactions as a way of doing business. So the Mormon church basically just gave billions upon billions of dollars they basically just housed it off to the side in a random building, and they just housed those funds away. It's honestly kind of strange why people even do this at all. I see the idea precisely, but if I was going to get into financial economics and I was first doing that, and I wasn't an expert in it, which I still am not, I would assume that this would not be allowed in the first place. This idea would be fine for people who are financially ethical as I can say I am, and a couple of other people I know, but this whole concept in of itself basically screams go ahead and hide your funds from the government. Of course I mean to of course I do in fact mean to apply that you should be head over your own finances and your money, obviously, when it's your money, but why make it this easy for people to commit money laundering in the first place? Instead of the 
Church of Latter-day Saints, it might as well have been an abandoned Chili's or half-torn-down Toys R Us that would end up being the perfect place to film every Breaking Bad drug deal scene. And of course, as I said before, this isn't the first time that the Mormons have done this. So the economic reason for this cover-up was due to the fact that the majority of the funds in the $32 billion scenario were high risk in their portfolio. So basically, as the risk rises and falls, which in this sense, most of the high risk fell, uh, they basically realized they would most likely lose the majority of it. So they ended up just going the clearly and apparently straightforward at the time a methodology of trying to cover up the paper trail and make it completely vanish, which obviously didn't work. And what was worse was that an amount of this $32 billion was funded by tithing in the church, which of course is not ethical in any shape, way, or form. No arrests were made, and the $5 million was simply deducted from church funds. So in the most realistic way, true ministries also had this problem in the field. A couple are the African Methodist Episcopal Church who bought real estate with funds, while a Catholic church in Brazil realized a Catholic bishop and five priests too soon ended up eradicating $608,000 in funds from the church on personal expenses, such as first-class watches. Now, of course, these are only two examples, but the point is that in ministry, we have to think on finances in the biblical sense of God supplying the funds versus having an abundance of funds to go off all the time. Because if you recall from the New Testament, the majority of all the biblical authors had nothing but the triune God, which of course is better than money every single time. But I can't help but think how you can't notice $608,000. Man. If only I had that much. Anyway. So, now speaking of bishops in the church, a bishop that was high up in the United Methodist Church of the past United Methodist Church, which is a mouthful, but might be what we have to call it from now on, was forced to either pack it up or leave forever and decide to follow the unbiblical to suddenly become the biblical, of course, on the homosexual topic. Now, he ended up going to the global United Methodist Church and chose them over the past United Methodist Church. And there's actually four other bishops and more bishops probably to follow within this next full entire year. And of course, it's kind of funny because the Global United Methodist Church ends up being the acronym GUM, which of course Baptists might have a problem with if they're the non-dancing kind. But I would formally say that Catholics will unfortunately end up being overrun by this issue, of course, after Methodists are completely overtaken, which it would appear that Free Methodists probably will be the next church on the block to make a choice, quote-unquote, on the subject. I would say within the next year or two, this will probably happen, since the United Methodists have ignored set fire and throne in the nearest dumpster of your local Goodwill, their books of discernment, and their books of order in the church. Which, of course, is kind of interesting, considering Goodwill is, in fact, a Methodist charity, ironically. Most people say that we have to accept everything, 
And when we're forced to accept something, we might as well just state it as biblical, even with the different views of our pastors and our preachers and our ministers. But here's my suggestion. And some people might not agree with this, but here's my suggestion. Just add United to every single church that doesn't stand with homosexuality to be a sin. Just give them the United name. Perhaps we have to give up unity for the sake of the biblical, in a sense. So you guys can take United, and we'll take Bible. Because on every Bible church, you always see actual biblical standards being done. So you guys take United, we'll take Bible. <clears throat> and then you guys will probably realize that United will be disunified from the main church. <clears throat> And we who are unified in biblical standards will take Bible on the front of our churches. Some could say that's too hardcore, but perhaps it would get them to reread the law in the New Testament completely. Now let's get to the heretic hearing. So first to the author by the name of Richard Land and Barrett Duke, who by the way should probably be acknowledged a lot more often for their work in the fields of theology and everywhere in general, just by their writing style, which is essentially accurately depicted as a mix of every proficient youth pastor turned author mixed with every MacArthur commentary ever written, which is pretty astounding to define the youth group style for writing projects in that way. We first will discuss the first part of their document, Alcohol and the Christian, and then we'll go over some rebuttals. So he first discusses a detail with a conversation between his colleague and another member of the congregation who mentioned how important it was in his family to buy their of-age daughter her first beverage. He says that often someone who disapproves of the alcoholic discussion will likely draw more focus to allowing them to have their first french fries, looking forward to seeing the delight in their eyes as they bite down into their crispy, salty, tender morsels, unquote which I think really sounds like a better form of advertising when it comes to that product at McDonald's than I've ever seen on any of their strange, weird commercials from the early 90s, but not to get too off track. So the first issue to discuss occurs in the introduction when Landon Barrett mentioned that the Southern Baptist Convention has their clause in place detailing that everyone within their denomination should sign and pledge to never partake in alcoholic beverages in any way, shape, or form, even as the miracle mentioned in New the New Testament involves wine two times stronger than the wine we normally drink today, or that the Catholics and Anglicans themselves drink in communion every three seconds when they take it, or the first three seconds when they do communion. Straightforwardly, this should be talked about. At the very least, if Baptists do not want to allow people to drink in excess, which no one should do in the first place, unless they're at a wedding, for some reason I guess that's like a rule of psychology, and if their pastor isn't in the room. If alcohol is removed for the basis of ignoring tradition, and specifically the traditions already displayed before the American church even started, you've literally removed one of the main ways that Christ himself used to bless a meal which should be a big issue, and would be a big issue, especially for Catholics and Anglicans alike. 
On a second note, what about the issue of people in the congregation who have diabetes? Because it's technically safer for a diabetic to have alcohol in this small of a way, in a small shot of wine versus a large glass of alcohol. And of course, a diabetic is not able to have the sugar-filled juice that is normally applied. And of course, of course, a way around that, which is to have it be sugar-free, but who drinks that anyway? And don't exactly try to take the communion away from a Catholic or an Anglican because you won't exactly be able to. Now, as we continue, the Southern Baptist Convention viewed alcohol as the number one drug problem in America. But if a person thinks for a moment, the attitudes on alcohol could change with the focus on communion instead of the partying lifestyle. Meaning that if people are new to the church, you could simply again highlight the fact that they're drinking in small amounts and highlight to the young that you should only drink in small doses. And of course, it also has to do with kids being raised right particularly because if kids don't have adults in their lives, they're not really going to care about large or small doses. And of course, in this article, they actually leave out marijuana. Obviously, that's not discussed here, and it's a whole different discussion. But maybe they'll write that later on. So they suggest a global poll later on in the article that says most people state that they have at least one person they know that was addicted to alcohol or drugs. But of course, it doesn't reference anything that adheres to the culture of the Bible. Because if you're going to look towards people who have problems with alcoholism today, what about biblical standards where we don't really hear a lot about alcohol abuse? It probably would have been a stronger case to reference psychedelics in a Roman culture, but at least that's just my understanding and my and my idea, because that's, of course, a bigger issue that hit the Roman temples and the Romans in general. At the same time, since alcohol that is discussed in the Bible doesn't exactly mention alcohol abuse a lot of the time, unless it's trying to highlight a point, this is even more so a degree that people should see that the Bible states that drunkenness is wrong, but drinking is not entirely wrong. Now, of course, later on, it discusses the Proverbs, as we mentioned before, but only in a negative sense all over again. Now, this time, it's not even in the slightest way in the right context at all. This is a classic example of someone trying to prove something and still using inappropriate context. They reference Proverbs 31, specifically verses 6 and 7, that states, Give beer to those perishing, wine to those who are in anguish, let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Now, in order to use this verse in a negative sense, you of course would have to assume that the king was talking about a literal drink given to someone who is essentially extremely sad for whatever reason, and normally the reason in this biblical sense would have to be either death of a loved one, for example, since they did not have proper medicine back in the time, or the constant issue of Israel being overthrown you'd have to assume this context to be something like the following, where they simply say, in perfect English, 
hey man, go drink yourself to death as long as you get over your sadness. But of course, this Bible interpretation is completely wrong because the Bible never ever communicates suicidality by drink in any way, shape, or form. Even more so not here because the next verses are speak up for those for the rights of all who are destitute. Like what? What do you mean then? Like what? That doesn't make any sense. Nobody would say, yes, go drink yourself to death. And in the next breath say, oh, I need to help all these people who are suffering. It just 100% doesn't compute. And it isn't the actual meaning behind it at all. How a Catholic and an Anglican, at least, to name two denominations, would put it in the alcoholic context is within the same context we mentioned before. Alcohol use completely under control. And, of course, the wisdom of being symbolically wise and not literal booze and the drunken behavior of literal, of literal booze is not at all looked at as biblical. And, of course, the Catholic priest or Anglican, for that matter, would want to give assistance to someone struggling, as with these authors. That's why this has been put on the heretic block. And that will do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you'd be down to be on this show to discuss religiosity or another topic of discussion, just just DM me on Instagram at the Code Exclusive Podcast and make sure to rate and follow the show. Take care.